Good morning. What was the first thing you ever did? I mean, in those first few moments of your life on this earth. I bet you don't remember what you were doing, um, but a good guess would be that you were screaming. I've, I've been at the birth of my three kids, and that's pretty much the first thing I remember them doing, was screaming. And not in laughter, or I don't think with grief or sadness, but screaming with fear. Because imagine what a baby experiences. I imagine them thinking, where did those walls go? And why is it so cold out here? And why is it so bright? And what does it even mean out here? Imagine how terrifying that is for a baby to come out from that warm, cosy, safe place into the big, wide, scary world. I reckon fear is one of the first things, maybe the first emotion that we feel. Something that's deeply ingrained into our human experience, isn't it? Fear is something that the Bible speaks about a lot. And so today we're going to have a look at this Psalm of David that helps us to think about how to handle fear. And how do we usually handle fear? As kids, we're usually pretty good at it. You just cry out, you know, on a dark night, scary dream, you're scared of the dark, and you scream out. And hopefully mum or dad or McGee or someone will come and bring their big adult warm safeness into your terror, into your fear, and drive it all away and it'll all be okay. But as we grow up, we're we're not very good at dealing with fear. I think we probably get worse at it. As the fears get more real and big, our ability to deal with them actually gets worse because we do things like we end up just denying and distracting ourselves from our fears. Maybe the blue light on our phones, we just let it wash over us and scroll through social media so we're distracted from thinking about those fears. Or, or maybe it's, it's eating or watching TV or shopping or something like that that we use to distract us. Or maybe you are kind of bottle it up kind of person where you take all those fears and smush them down, screw the lid on really tight and don't let them out. You just keep calm and carry on. You know, you're a stoic kind of person. That's how you deal with fear. Maybe you're more of a modern kind of person who, who thinks it's healthier to let those things out just to express your fears and vent them. And maybe you're in danger then of kind of being controlled by those fears, of letting them rule you. Well, David has a different way to deal with fear. He doesn't deny it doesn't distract himself from it. It doesn't just bottle it up or vent it into thin air. No, he, he prays his fears. He brings them into God's presence. Now, he, he tries to make sense of them in the presence of God. And they're raw and they're deep and they're honest. Um, but he tries to make sense of them in the, in the context, like in, in the perspective of who God is, of all that he is. And so that's what this psalm is. So I want us today not just to kind of extract a few lessons from it, but to take it as, a, as a, our own prayer, to take it up, to take it home and to put it into use in our hearts, to take it and read it through and make it our own as we learn not to fear as we walk into the presence of God. So how do we do it? Well, that's how David does it. He brings his fears into God's presence and deals with them there. The first thing we need to do, though, is to learn a little bit about fear, to see what it is exactly that David is afraid of. Because I reckon there's two types of fear that we could put our fingers on. Um, maybe you could think about it like this. There's the sort of thunderstorm kind of fear and there's the drizzly mist kind of fear. Thunderstorm fear is like, a, like an army that is advancing against you, that attacks you, that besieges you. This, it's a kind of big fear that makes you fear for your life, like a, a car coming down the road when you're crossing the road and you see it out of the corner of your eye and it, it drives you to action, doesn't it? It's kind of a healthy kind of fear if you think about it. It makes your brain work quicker, your muscles twitch faster, your adrenaline goes through the roof, your heart pumps, and you run out of the way of the car and your life is saved. And the fear passes. It's like a thunderstorm. It's unpleasant at the time, but 
It passes and everything is greener and more alive because of it. That kind of fear is, is sort of good, isn't it? But then there's this drizzly rain kind of fear. This fear that still hangs around even after the car is gone. David experiences this in the accusations of other people that brings up stuff in his heart. We'll think about that later. Or, or in the way that people abandon him. That is a kind of fear that, that just hangs around like drizzle for David. That isn't, isn't really connected to anything in particular. You know, the car is gone and you are still feeling this lingering feeling of hollowness and fragility. And, and it's, the fear isn't linked to some specific thing. So you're just not really sure what to do. You end up being kind of paralysed with action. And this drizzle just makes you feel cold to the bone. And it's almost like hypothermia just gets you colder and colder. And you just want to sit down. You're paralysed by that fear. It almost feels like it's not just attacking your body, but it's attacking your very soul. You know, the sense of who you are, the root of yourself. I wonder if you felt those two kinds of fear. One's really constructive and it kind of brings you to life and keeps you safe. And the other kind is destructive and it pulls you apart. And it, it, it makes you feel like you're not really a full person anymore. Do you feel that? That kind of deep anxiety? Well, David deals with that fear by bringing it to God, by bringing it into his presence, to the one who is his light. That's in verse one, his salvation, his stronghold. And that gets unpacked. It's a beautiful thing. You see, he, he takes his fears and he, he doesn't just smush them down. He doesn't just unleash them and vent them out and let them take control. No, he takes his heart and sets it to searching for the one thing that he wants more than anything else in the world, and that is God. See, fear makes you see what you really treasure, doesn't it? I treasure my life as this car is coming towards me, and so I, I save it. I treasure my child's life as they fall off the swings, and I do the kind of rescue thing dads do. You can see amazing YouTube videos of dads having kind of superhuman strength and speed and, and running across the field to whisk their kids out of the way. And some fear is like that, isn't it? It's kind of constructive, and it brings you into God's presence. To, it makes you feel alive and, and brings you to life. And then there's other fears that don't. And we'll get to those in a second. But David says this fear brings him into God's presence. And then, and then it disappears because he's in God's presence. Because as he gets into God's presence, he realises nothing, nothing in this world could ever take away the God who's above and over and underneath and, and has his hands around this world. Nothing finite could ever defeat the infinite. So if he's in God, if he's desiring God above all things, if that's what he wants is is God and to dwell with him. Well, nothing can ever take that away. So whatever he loses, even if it's his own life, actually he's completely safe because God is the one who gave him his life in the first place and nothing can beat God. So if he has him, he's got everything. What is there to fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what David's saying right at the beginning here. And it's beautiful, isn't it? One thing I would ask, this is all I want, is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Isn't it amazing that we have a God like that who we can dwell with, who's beautiful enough and interesting enough to want to spend all of our lives and eternity looking at him and enjoying him. He's not just a powerful master who, who we need to bow to or, you know, a giver of gifts who we have to grovel to. No, he's a beautiful, he's a beautiful father who loves to have us in his warm presence. He's a God whose love is like a fire that drives away the cold and wet and rain of all of that fear. That's what God's love is like. 
And David wants more and more of it. He wants to live there and dwell there forever. It's something that stirs up joy and wants him to, wants, makes him want to give everything and sacrifice. It makes him want to make music. And so this joy of God's presence drives away that fear. I wonder if you've experienced that. Or maybe not. Maybe you are still stuck in that drizzly kind of fear. I mean, David feels that next. If you have a look at verse 7 onwards, it feels like that begins to grip his heart. That the thunderstorm of the armies and the threats kind of move away. But the second kind of fear that's much more difficult to deal with seems to, to take this cold grip on his heart. And so he says, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. He begins to get more desperate. Please be merciful to me and answer me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. My mother and father have forsaken me, but Lord, will you take me in? Will you receive me? He's getting desperate in prayer, you see, because people have been accusing him and abandoning him. And that's, I think that's, that's dredged up all sorts of stuff that's going on in his heart that makes him feel afraid. Afraid to come into God's presence in a way. At least maybe not sure that he will be welcomed. So he's really pleading. He's getting desperate. And he's right to be desperate. Because David was not a good man. And only good people can come to to the warm fires of a good God's love. Only good people can come into God's presence and not just be driven away and not just be thrown out into darkness. Only people who are really good can come to know God's light and his salvation, can come to know him as a stronghold. And so how on earth can David do that? Because David was not a good man. David was not a good father. He really made a mess of his kids. He wasn't a great king. He often used that position for his own good. He wasn't a good husband. He wasn't a good friend. In fact, he murdered or had murdered one of his friends to cover up the fact that he'd been sleeping with this guy's wife and he'd got her pregnant. David was not a good man. He had good reason to be afraid that he would, he would have the door of God's presence shut in his face. I wonder if you feel that. If these accusations that were against David, I mean, maybe these ones weren't true, but there was plenty of mud people could sling at him that would stick. I wonder if we feel that. I wonder what you're afraid of. Is it, is it attacks and stuff on your, on your physical body? Is it coronavirus? And, and maybe not people attacking you, but little microbes and viruses making you sick. Or is it accusations that come from other people trying to sling mud at you, or maybe even from your own heart that bubble up and say, you did this, you did that. You don't deserve to be anywhere near God. You have to be outside in the drizzle, living in fear forever. Maybe it's abandonment, that people have just left you alone and you feel God has left you alone. What is it that we fear? Well, David, even in these times of desperation, you know what he does? He does exactly what he did the first time. He brings it to God in prayer. He was praying all that time. He's desperate, but he's not desperate on his own. He's desperate in God's presence. He comes to him and he ends up confident. He ends up saying these last few famous, beautiful verses, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even a man like me can be confident of seeing God's face and dwelling with him, of cozying up to him and around the warm fire of his love and having all that fear driven away. I'm confident of that. So, and he tells the world in this last verse, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord, seek him out while he may be found. Come and get close to him and have him drive all those fears away. David has confidence, even a guy like him. How does he have confidence? Well, 
There's confidence because of what he saw when he was in God's presence. Back in verse 4, 5, 6, you'll see all these pictures, these words about where God lives, that he's in a house or a temple or a, uh, high up on a rock or in a, a, you know, a shelter, a, a tabernacle. Those are all words for God's dwelling place on earth, like the temple. They literally had a, a tent and then a temple where God's presence was said to, to live and you could come close to it. But only if something else was sent far away. You could come close and live and know God's presence if something else, it would, animals, were taken away and killed. You could come and know his light if they were put into darkness. You could come and know that he was, his, he was your stronghold and, and your saviour if, if they were killed. And so David comes, and it sounds a bit gruesome and maybe a bit weird to us, temples and sacrifices and all that kind of thing, but David sees in that whole system, in all, all that way of life, he sees that God has made a way for scared people like us, for people who are crushed down and abandoned and afflicted and accused and attacked to come close to God and know relief and peace. David sees that, and so he says, I'm confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord in my life now and beyond this life and into the next, the land of the living. You know, you can have that confidence as well. I mean, there's no temple to go to now. We don't do animal sacrifices anymore, thankfully. But you can go and look at what David was pointing towards. In writing this, you can come and look at Jesus. Jesus, God who came close to us, who is light, who is salvation, who's a stronghold. And it's not just us that says that of him. I mean, Jesus, this God who's walked among us, this God who's come to seek us out. He said that all about himself, that he said, I am the light of the world. Anybody who comes to me will never walk in darkness again. So Jesus is our light. If you want to know truth, if you want to step out of the shadows and walk in the light, then you, can, you need to come and walk with Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, he's a stronghold. I mean, that's what you do in a stronghold, isn't it? You rest. You take a break from the battle that's raging around you. You slam the door behind you and you breathe a sigh of relief and rest. Jesus says, put down your burdens and come and rest with me. He's a saviour as well. He says, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Then even if we haven't really been seeking him out, in all honesty, we haven't sought his face. He's been seeking us. He's been coming to find lost sheep, lost people, lost coins, all sorts of stories in scripture about lost things that God comes to rescue and find and to be brought back home into his presence. You see, Jesus is the one who is light, who is salvation, who's our stronghold. So I wonder, have you come to him? Do you know him? He can welcome us into God's presence because of all that he went through. Not just that he is light and salvation and stronghold in his presence, but but that because there was a day when he was afraid, like we are afraid. I mean, he didn't have anything to be afraid of, really. He was always close to God. He never had any shadows in his heart, any accusations that could stick to him, any, any troubles that could, could make him feel like they would separate him from God. He never had any of that kind of uh, worry or fear. And yet there was a day when he, he knelt down in a garden late at night, and he sweat drops of blood in terror. Do you know why? Because he knew that the day after that night, he would walk up a hill. He would be lifted up on a high place, but not rescued like David was. He would be executed. He knew that that execution would mean 
separation from God. Do you know what was going on there? That day Jesus was accused of things that he didn't do, but he kept his mouth shut and went to die at the cross anyway. Carrying all the stuff that we're accused of, rightly, all of the wrong and all the things that we've done, he took it and died with it at the cross. He was abandoned by his friends, his closest people, and forsaken, abandoned by God. That moving verse here, isn't there, where David prays, please don't abandon me. Well, Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. It was dark when Jesus died. He was attacked, not by armies, but by nails driven into his hands and his feet, by thorns on his head, by a spear in his side. Jesus was killed for us. Why? Well, because, because somebody has to stand in our place. Because we often turn our backs on God because, because we don't deserve to be cozying up to him in the warmth of his love. We deserve to be in darkness, far away from him. But Jesus took that for us so that we can come home. So that when we knock on the door, of God's presence. He welcomes us in with a huge smile, with open arms, wraps us in Jesus's goodness, wraps us in his life, and welcomes us to sit by the fire as his sons and his precious daughters. Do you know that that's who you can be? That's who you are if you're a Christian? You're somebody who's trusting Jesus? I wonder if you have done that. I wonder if that's changed your life, if you've let Jesus light into your life, if you've known him as your saviour, if he's your stronghold that you rest in day by day. Well, that would turn your life upside down. You can take the story of somebody like Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's followers. And he was a man who was a loud mouth and seemed to be very, very kind of confident and, and brash and without any fear. But, but the night that Jesus was praying in the garden and then the night that he was arrested and taken away, Peter was asked, don't you follow Jesus? By a little girl around a fire with a couple of other people there. And he denied it. Peter was filled with, with fear. His heart was gripped with fear and he denied it and he ran away in tears, ashamed because he turned his back on Jesus. But a few weeks later, Peter was in broad daylight, standing up in front of thousands of people, not just telling them that he believed in Jesus, but that they all should too. And then a few years later, he went and died for that same message. What was it that changed? What was it that turned him from fear to courage? Do you know what it was? It was seeing God. It was seeing Jesus face to face, three days after his death, walking around in a body, sitting down, eating breakfast, talking, embracing, forgiving him for denying him. Peter's life was turned upside down, inside out, the right way up. Peter's fear was turned to courage and faith because he saw Jesus and spent time with him. So have you spent time with Jesus? If you're afraid of going outside of the house at, at the moment, well, okay. It's a scary thing to face death, isn't it? I mean, death is the ultimate attack on our bodies. It's the ultimate abandonment of, you know, body and soul. It, it's when we feel alone uh, in death. But all of the accusation, all of the wrong, all of the things that really make death scary, you know, the being separated from God part, the not knowing whether he'll accept me when I pass through that curtain and, and into the other side, all of that has been taken away. And Jesus says, you're welcome. So you don't need to fear death anymore. You don't interfere going to the shops or going to see people. I mean, we should keep our distance and, and serve and love our neighbours and, and try and keep each other as healthy as we can. But we don't need to be afraid. When your kids ask you to come and help them out, when they cry out at night, what are you going to do? 
you're going to go and bring your warm presence into their presence. And one more thing, bring them into God's presence as you do that. If you're afraid, well, come and pray, come and know God, come and walk closely with him. If your kids are afraid, well, bring them not just into your presence, but into God's presence too. And let's teach them about the God who drives all fear away. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you don't know this God who gives us courage, this God who wipes away those storms and helps us draw close to him, who gives us confidence even in the face of death. Well, if you don't know him, I want to invite you to come and get to know him today. I'm going to pray in a moment and maybe you could echo that prayer in your heart and start walking with Jesus, leaving that old life behind and coming and to know him for yourself. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are our light, that you are our salvation, that you are our stronghold. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to come to you and know you as that today, to bring all of our fears, all of our hopes, Lord, all of our struggles, all of our sins, all of the wrong that we've done, Lord, all of our shadows. We pray that you'd help us to bring them to you, that you'd forgive us of them, Lord, that you would welcome us with open arms into your presence, that you would help us to know that we are your sons and daughters, that you would help us to gaze on your beauty, to enjoy your presence and no fear driven away as David knew it, as Peter knew it. Lord, we pray that would be a reality to us, that you would come and be real to us this morning and this evening and tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening. And Lord, for every day, whatever we face to the end of our lives and beyond, we pray that you'd help us to stay looking at Jesus, trusting in him and knowing the one who drives all fear away. Amen.